0: for Sundays, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, this church service is a, is a blessing to us and more so it is a uh, it is praise and honor to you, Lord. We thank you for this time that we set aside on Sunday mornings, especially for you. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you. Uh, and Lord, I, I pray that we can go out into our community from here and, uh, and spread your word and your love to, to everyone around us, Lord. Be with Ben this morning as he brings us uh, your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tanner. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we'll be this morning. We're going to be in verse 17 and try to work our way through verse 24. All right, I want to start by just praying. And then we're just going to dive into this text uh, like we typically do. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you that we can uh, gather together, that we can sing songs that glorify you, that we can uh, sing together, God, as a body of believers whom you've rescued, whom you've saved. I pray now, Father, as we transition to a time of proclamation, that we hear your word proclaimed, God, that, one, I would be faithful to your word. That it would be your word that is heard. That you would encourage our hearts where we need encouragement. That you would convict us where we need conviction. That you would help us to grow in you this morning in the gospel of you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read all of verse, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to read all of the, the verses 17 through 24. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord, has, uh, Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called, he should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, he should not get circumcised. Circumcision doesn't matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Well, don't let it concern you. But if, it, if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who called by, who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's free man. And likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. So, we've covered, it, it doesn't, maybe it feels like it to you, we're, we're right around the halfway point of 1 Corinthians. We've covered a lot of ground, and the last few weeks have been uh, rough. Those, those passages are, are hard for a lot of number of reasons. Uh, and so, I want to just step back, let's just breathe, let's look at 1 Corinthians as a whole, and then we're going to dive into what Paul says here, because it's part, like particularly applicable for what he has been talking about and what the Lord is doing in our lives right now. So remember it's written to church at Corinth uh, Corinth is a a metropolitan area, lots of people coming in and out, lots of ideas, lots of different things taking place within this church and so Paul loves this church he planted this church he spent a year and a half at this church before he left and they've written to Paul and Paul's response to their letter is what we have in in first corinthians and he's heard reports about this church and he's going to hear other reports and he writes a second letter there's a second corinthians because it's that letter as well and so Paul is loving this church and continuing in all of these things <laughs> she acts like her father Linda, <laughs> you know what? First Corinthians five—that's where we're gonna be this morning. No, I... Oh goodness! All right. So Paul's doing all those things with the church. Uh, talking. <laughs> Man, that one threw me off. Uh, So, uh, Paul's writing this church he loves, and they've got some issues. Uh, They've had some interesting member meetings. They've had some tempers that have flared. They've got some things that they're believing and that they're holding to that are detrimental to the gospel, but Paul still loves them. It's this this connection between this idea of we if we're saved in Jesus Christ we are counted as righteous, that we are sinners, or we're saints at that moment when, when we're saved by God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We're saints in that moment, yet at the same time we still deal with our sinful nature, we still deal with our flesh, and so those two things kind of work themselves out in our lives in a variety of different ways. And so what Paul's dealing with largely in 1 Corinthians is some of the fleshly things that have taken over their theology, their doctrines, the things that they're supposed to be. The primary one being disunity in the church. It's a huge theme and it's a huge issue with 1 Corinthians and it's a big issue when you look at the New Testament in general. The way that we are unified as a body of believers, the way churches are unified Biblically is not by setting aside these things that we're going to cling to, but it's by understanding that we are brought together by Jesus Christ and Him crucified, period, the end. That's where our unity lies in. Everything else we can argue about a little bit, we can have secondary differences, but if we can't get the gospel right, if we can't be unified in the gospel, we're not a church. That's what we hold to. That's what we cling to. That's what we hold up and make sure is elevated. That's largely what Paul is dealing with here. Don't miss the forest through the trees. There's all of these issues that are taking place. He talked about uh, uh, d- divisions. with right. He talked about uh, different pastors that people are listening to. They like better than The underlying root is church unity that's the issue. He talked about church discipline in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5. The underlying root there, though, is, is unity in the church is what's broken. So we get to this passage. We get to... Uh, uh, verse 17, let's, let's reread it and then kind of unpack what Paul is saying. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. I just want to pause. Verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24 are almost identical each time it's said. Paul is making a point, and he knows us He knows that we're forgetful, and so he's reiterating it multiple times in this short section of Scripture. So let's talk about exactly what he's getting at, because it's the main point of what he's saying now. And if we look backwards to the passages we just covered, and we look forward to the passages that are coming, this is the theme that Paul is going to be running with. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. Typically, in in Baptist churches, when we talk about the idea of God calling somebody, we typically think of pastors. Are you called to ministry or are you not called to ministry? But what Paul is saying here is not exclusive to pastors. It's not exclusive to ministers. What Paul is saying is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called you that you have this calling on your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about this. He says this in in 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you jump over to verse 24, Paul talks about calling again. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God in the wisdom of God. If you jump to verse 26, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. This is Paul coming back to the original theme he was talking about with this disunity in the church. and He's bringing it back in 1 Corinthians 7 by talking about our calling, what God has done, what God has given to us. Now, Paul fleshes this out pretty clearly in Romans. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. So I want to pause there because that's a misquoted verse or at least a misunderstand verse. It does not mean that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, everything in your life is going to be exactly what you want it to be. That's not how it works. Uh, if, if that's what you believed, that's a it's a lie. And there are churches and there are theologies that will teach those things to people. But that's not what that text is saying. All things work together for good of those who love God. The good is not always what you want to be out of life. All things work together for good and that all things work together to grow you in the Lord if you're a believer in Jesus Christ to exalt God's glory to make much of Jesus. Look at verse 29. For those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So so what theologians have called this section is the chain of salvation, the golden chain which links you can't break. And so there's some things here that are kind of controversial, but not really if we understand them uh, to be biblical that God has foreknowledge that predestination is biblical, election is, is biblical within God. What we mean by that, what the Bible teaches, is not that you and I are robots and puppets just used by God and we have no control over our lives, what we do. That's not what the scripture teaches. What it does teach is that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God is omniscient, that he's omnipotent, and all of those things, that God is above and over us. And so how God's sovereignty and how our free will work out don't, exactly tell us but we know both to be true and so when we look at this text of scripture and thinking about calling what we see is that God has predestined us so just think of the word pre and then destined if you go to a trip uh, and you get in your GPS and you put your destination in your GPS and it gives you a route to go that's predestining where you're going to go where you're going to end up now there will be traffic especially if you get on I-20 but not not with God he I guess has the ability to go around traffic so we've been destined to those things. And if we've been predestined, then he says that we're called, it's that second link in the chain. What, what Paul's talking about is salvation. That we're saved. That's the calling on our life, that if we're believers in Jesus Christ, it's not an accident that, that God has saved you for a purpose and for a reason, because look how it goes. He, he calls you, and then the next link of the chain is he justifies you in front of Christ. We've talked about justification. It's the moment we're believers in Jesus Christ, the moment you repent of your sins, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified. It's a legal term. Think of a, gu- uh, a judge with his gavel hitting it on the the. Judge stands saying innocent. That's the proclamation that we have over us, that Jesus' righteousness justifies us in God's eyes. And the next link of the chain is glorified. So if we die, when we die, I guess not if, when we die, we know what the next link of the chain is. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, if we've been justified, if we've been called, that we know that next link is salvation. It's, It's heaven. It's being with God eternally and fully. So in 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul says, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him, he's talking about salvation. We're all saved at different points in our life. We're all saved in different situations. We're all saved from sin, from ourselves, to Christ. But how those things take place within our each individual life is different for all of us. And then God saves us from those places. And then what Paul is saying is interesting. He says, live your life in that situation in which God called you. And he makes sure that we know this isn't just a command for Corinth. This isn't just a command for first century uh, Jews who are converted to Christianity or this church that Paul's writing to. This is a command for all of the churches Paul wrote to, including you and I at Ira Baptist, that we are called to live our lives in the situation which God called us. It's it's Paul's simple way of saying you don't have to change your circumstances to glorify God. And he's going to give us illustrations of this. So look at verse 18. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he called. So Paul brings up the, the Jewish practice of circumcision where on the eighth day, you take the boys, you would circumcise them, bring them to the Lord. It was a sign, it God's Old Testament covenant sign that he was gathering a group of people together. In the New Testament, baptism takes its place. Believers are baptized. That's how we're brought together in the Lord. That's our, our, covenant, there, our covenant sign that God gives. So we're called. So when we're saved, we get baptized. That's the correlation. That's the connection there. Remember Paul's story. He calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a high up Jew. Knew the law extremely well. Was trained by some of the best rabbis, by best people within the Jewish church. Which comes as a shock when we read verse 19. Circumcision does not matter. Uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. The church Paul grew up in, that was a command. And this isn't the only place where Paul mentions this with, with circumcision. In Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says this, For in Christ neither circumcised nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith, working through love. In chapter 6, verse 15 of Galatians, Paul says, For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is new creation. What Paul is saying to us through the Word, what God is saying to us through Paul, is that sometimes we will attach these things to the church, we'll attach these traditions, we'll attach these ideas to the church and think, well, these are the things that save me. And what Paul is saying, no, that's not how this works. You're not saved by what you do, you're not saved by the traditions that you hold to, you're saved by Jesus Christ and Him crucified, period, at the end. That's the gospel. So, so practically, Your style of worship does not save you. The content of the songs matter. How we worship matters, but those things reveal a heart. They don't save a heart. You can be the best singer in the world and an unbeliever, though it's not a correlation. You could sing only hymns written before the 1500s, and that doesn't make you a Christian. You can send, sing songs written only in the last year, and that doesn't make you. Your worship style does not change your standing before God. Again, the content of the songs matters. The heart posture you have when you worship matters. The translation of your Bible is one we'll fight over sometimes. Most English translations are extremely faithful to the text of Scripture. There's one major exception, the the New World Translation. That's from the Jehovah's Witness. They intentionally will try to hide some things from you, and I'll gladly walk you through what those errors are if you want me to. Stay away from that one. Everything else, you're good. Even the message, if you understand what the message is meant to be, it's not meant to be your initial text of Scripture. It's Eugene Peterson basically doing a devotional on what Scripture is supposed to be. So you know, read along with your text of Scripture, your Bible. But if just because you read the King James, or just because you read the ESV, or just because you have all of those memorized, does not save you. It's the Word of God which proclaims the gospel of truth. It's the gospel that saves you. So read it. Memorize it, internalize it, meditate on it Get it from your brain to your heart As only God can do How you dress for church does not save you You can wear a three-piece suit and a tie Or you can show up in sandals and a t-shirt It doesn't save Now don't distract others by your apparel and don't get offended if somebody wears something that, that upsets you. Your worship is your responsibility, not theirs. But your dress doesn't save you. That's what Paul is saying. There's all of these secondary things that we can attach to the gospel, and we can take these secondary issues, and we can make them primary issues if we're not careful. They don't save you. What saves you, Paul says, is keeping God's commands in what matters, is what matters. Now, he's not saying you have to... Follow all of God's law to be saved. That's legalism. That's not the gospel. What he's saying is love manifests itself in keeping God's law. If you love someone, if you care for someone, then you do what they say. If we love Jesus and Christ loves us and we trust Jesus with our salvation, we follow after Jesus, we lean into the gospel with everything that we absolutely have, then when Jesus tells us what to do and what not to do, we trust that he knows what's best for us. That following law doesn't save us. It's our response saying, I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus to have my best interest. He's going to save me from my sin. I'm going to glorify him by doing these things. I'm going to obey his law. So we don't ignore commands. We try to follow him as best as we can. We don't add to scripture. We try to do what the Bible says. Because our faith in Christ is expressed in keeping commands. To love Christ is to trust his word. Very simple. And to trust Christ fully is to trust God's word fully. So, let each one live his situation which the Lord has assigned when God, uh, let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Paul's saying very clearly here, there's this ancient Jewish custom of circumcision that you don't have to do to be saved or not do to not be saved. That your salvation isn't that. How God saves you in that moment, that's where you're at. Now live that out. Don't try to undo it. Don't try to go and do it. It Don't add to the word of God. Just follow after Jesus. Verse 21. Were you called uh, while a slave? Don't let it concern you, but if you can be free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who, called by the, he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Slavery at this point in time, when, when Paul is writing, is extremely popular, especially in the city of Corinth and especially in, in Roman and Greek uh, uh, towns and nations. So, one third of the population would have been slaves, one third of the population would have been emancipated slaves, and one third of the population would have been freeborn citizens. I think if my math is correct, that's 100%. So, you could be born a slave. You could be, uh, sell yourself into slavery to pay a uh, debt. You could be sold into slavery, to pay, or, or you could be a prisoner of war and be captured and enslaved that way. There were many masters who owned slaves that made their lives absolutely miserable, but not all did. In fact, at this time, slaves could be doctors, they could be teachers, they could be managers, they could be musicians, artists, barbers, cooks, uh, shopkeepers. They could also own slaves as a slave. Slavery is hard because of American history with slavery. It's a different kind that we're talking about. It was not based on race. It was different than American slavery. Slaves could purchase their freedom in Corinth than in other Roman towns. And Paul says, if you can purchase your freedom, absolutely go do so. The struggle sometimes that we have and if you listen to people is you will not be able to find a chapter and a verse in the bible that says slavery is a sin that it's an issue it is and the bible does talk about these things but it doesn't just straight up say it because the bible's dealing with real life issues and real world things that are taking place we see in Genesis that all human beings are created in the image of God, that bears with it, that carries with it the weight that we're made in, in God's image. So we're all equal in value, in worth, and in dignity. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you're from. It doesn't matter what uh, socioeconomic status you are. All of those things are wiped out. That we're all equal in value, worth, and dignity. That we're made in God's image. Slavery is a sin. It's an issue. But you know that every country every place where christianity goes into where the gospel infiltrates and begins to take roots in the community when it begins to spread that one of the first things that happens is slavery is abolished you can look at it across uh england where it was protestant pastors who were helping to abolish slavery you can look at it in the united states it's reverend martin luther king jr We have to talk about this because our church is a Southern Baptist church. Uh, The SBC was formed over this issue in 1845. Uh, Southern Baptist churches wanted to own slaves. That's not a a good part of our history and a good part of our past. So we... have repented of it we've issued things in 1995 there was an official like public repentance over this issue and then in 2012 a man named Fred Luter Jr. was the uh, elected the first black president of the SBC as a good godly man I just say all of that because I don't want you to be surprised if you start searching these things on the SBC and understand what the scriptures are telling us and what they're not telling us slavery is absolutely a sin so what Paul is about to say, we can't read it and just under, Like, just listen to what he says. Let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. If you were called a slave, don't let it be your concern. If you can be free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. What Paul is saying is he's saying whatever situation when you're saved in, if you're a slave... Your primary purpose, your goal is to glorify God, not gain your freedom. If you can get your freedom, absolutely go and get it. But glorify God in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. So if you're a free man and God saves you from that salvation, one, get rid of slavery if that's what you have or whatever other sins take place, but you glorify God in that moment. You glorify God in that circumstance that you find yourself in. Just by Paul bringing up the dignity of slaves, he's elevating manhood. He's elevating the image of God being carried out within all sorts of different types of people. In fact, he finishes with the gospel where he says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. that the gospel's for all different situations, all sorts of different scenarios that take place in our lives, that whatever you're going through is not unique to you, that these things have taken place, and that God can be glorified in your situation, that God will use that situation to grow you. In fact, look at verse 24. Brothers and sisters, church, each person is to remain with God In the situation in which he was called. If you look back at the texts that we've covered. We see sexual immorality. We see church discipline. We see lawsuits among believers. We see marriage. We see divorce. We see all sorts of issues taking place there. If you look forward and and see ahead, what you're going to see is Paul dealing with people who have not been married or widows with food that's offered to to idols, with all different kinds of contexts and things that are taking place. God saves us in all different types of circumstances and scenarios. None of our lives are exactly identical to one another. What Paul is saying, what God is saying is he did not make a mistake when he saved you. He saved you with your background, with your, with all of those things that you have with you for a purpose and for a reason. Use them for the glory of God. More than one commentator said, bloom where you're planted, which just sounded a little Instagram-ish to me, so I wanted to downplay it. You trust Christ with where Christ has placed you. You trust Christ with when you've been saved. You trust Christ with how you were saved. You trust Christ in the circumstances and the situations that you find yourself in. Because far too often what we do, what we approach these things is, is we think, well, I've, I've been saved and I'm in this circumstance and I can't quite glorify God with where I'm at, so I have to figure out a way to get out of this situation, to get out of this circumstance, to do whatever else, so that I can fully glorify God. And what Paul is saying is absolutely not no. You, know, you may need to get out of that circumstance. You may need to go. I mean, it's a job. Get a new job. You may need to do whatever. But but that's not hindering your worship of God. You are called when you're called. You're saved when you're saved for a purpose and for a reason. You have an influence over who you have an influence over for a purpose and for a reason. You're around who you're around. Your co-workers are your co-workers. Your family is your family. Your friends are your friends. Your acquaint- All of those things that God has ordained in your life and set you in those unique situations are for a purpose and for a reason. We used to tell the kids at the school when I was a youth pastor back, feels like a million years ago now, your lockers are who your lockers are next to for a purpose and for a reason. You sit next to who you sit next to in class for a purpose and for a reason. God is sovereign and those things are not an accident. God has placed you where He's placed you to be a gospel light for other people. So sometimes that means you share the gospel with them that they might repent and believe in Jesus for the first time. And other times it means maybe they're a believer and they're struggling, and so you share the gospel with them to encourage them, to help them to come along, to grow. There's an old pastor, he passed away several years ago now. Morgan and I were talking about this this week. He had an illustration, he was really good at illustrations. He had a skulllet. he was bald on top, and he had a mullet in the back. Uh, it was a unique look. But he would often talk about the difference between being a thermostat and a thermometer. I think this applies to what Paul is saying thermometers read the room and they respond it tells you the temperature of the room so if the room is hot it goes up if the room is cold it goes down except in this room to where temperature just can't figure itself out thermostats set what the temperature will be he would always say change the room that's his words What Paul is saying here is if you and I are believers, if you and I follow after Jesus, if you and I fully and completely trust in Jesus and understand that Christ has called us, that we are saved by God for God's glory, then we're not an accident where we go to school. We're not an accident where we work. It's not an accident who our family is. It's not an accident who our friends are. It's not an accident who our our relatives are, our sphere. All of those things are not an accident that God has placed you there to be a gospel thermostat to change the temperature, to share the gospel, to love one another, whether they're lost or believers, but He has placed you there to thrive and to help those around you thrive in Jesus Christ. Each person is to remain with God in the situation in which He was called, because each person, when they're called, has a unique situation where their voice can be heard in that situation. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It might be inconvenient. And it might be challenging. But it's God's plan. If you read the Bible, what you don't see happening is, is God's plan is let's have these big gatherings where we invite everybody to come to these places, hear the gospel, be saved, and then we just kind of continually do that. What you instead see are people coming, gathering as a body, being discipled, and then being sent out, scattering, going to their various places, the various jobs. And actually, you see them going home. They're all in town for a festival. Uh, the Pentecost comes. A bunch of people are saved. They hear the gospel. There's persecution that takes place. And, and Rome persecutes the early church, trying to, to kill it right off the bat. And instead what they do is they send all of these newborn missionaries out to their home countries to the point where you read Paul's letters and Paul's shocked. He's like, I came here thinking there was no church. There's actually a church. When Rome tried to exterminate Christianity, what they actually did was they spread it. Alexander the Great is a great uh, illustration of this. Alexander the Great was a pagan among pagans. Really, really good at war. You know how God used Alexander the Great? He conquered the known world. Why does that matter for Christianity? Everybody spoke the same language when Jesus came. You know how much easier it is for the gospel to spread if you have a common language? God used Alexander the Great to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ira is small, but God can put his eye on the sparrow. Ira is small, but we are not overlooked in God's eyes. He has placed you and I here for a purpose and for a reason. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if we have been purchased by God, if we have been bought with a price, and that price is the life of Jesus Christ, his perfect and holy life that you and I are supposed to live, the price of Jesus Christ is he gives his life up for us, that we repent of our sins, we turn to Jesus. The price is his righteousness. And he takes the wrath of God for us and he imputes it to us. That's the cost that Jesus bought us with. If we have been bought, Bought by Jesus Christ. Then it's not our life anyways. It's the Lord's. So bloom where you're planted. Put down roots. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. Live your life out in such a way that shows others that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you believe in something far more than just this earthly life that we live. But don't just... Sometimes we think, if I'll just live my life as a holy person and then people will come to Jesus, that's not how it works. You live your life out that way, certainly, and then you back it up with words. Your life is not your own. You don't have to change your circumstances. Maybe you're in a spot where you just don't feel like you have a voice. You don't feel like the Lord could use you. That's not true. You don't have to change your circumstance to accomplish God's will. You simply recognize your circumstance and obey the commands. Live out as faithfully as you can for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to alter alter it for the glory of God. Simply repent of your sins and follow Jesus. And the good news for us is, one, God has enabled us. He's given us the power to do that. Not by our own power, but by himself. And secondarily, God has given us each other. You don't have to do this alone. He's given you brothers and sisters of Christ. Some of us are more handsome than others. But he's given us each other, and that's not an accident either. It's not like God's sitting up in heaven going, Oh, I didn't realize they'd be in the same church together. How cool. He's given us one another. To covenant together, to grow with one another, to... Share the gospel to be a thermostat in ira to set the temperature to gospel so maybe if you're a believer who's here this morning i know the last few weeks they've been hard on me i'm assuming they the texts have been hard on you as well and there's grace and there's mercy in all of those areas we all struggle with the various allotment of sins. Some of us struggle in certain areas more than other areas, but we all struggle to various degrees of sins that we take place in. Praise God that there's grace. Praise God that there's mercy. And praise God that we have one other that we can go in those things. So if you're an unbeliever who's here this morning and you feel like you just can't come to the Lord, that you're too bad, you're too far gone, That is a lie straight from Satan. You're not too bad. God is a far better Savior than you are a sinner. Just repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Come join our church. We're a bunch of imperfect people just trying to figure it out. And walk alongside with us. If you're a believer, it means we must understand everything that you and I have is the Lord's. Our time is God's. Our kids are God's. Our careers are God's. Our church is the Lord's. Use it for the glory of God. Bloom where you're planted. Let's pray.